turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy 3. We'll read the whole chapter, but we'll be focusing on verses 14 through 16. So it's 1 Timothy 3. Sorry, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So far the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, in Deuteronomy, God calls upon the king to write out a copy of the law to keep with him always. This is not a task that the king is supposed to delegate to someone else. It's the king himself who is called to copy out the law so that he may take the law to heart. The king is called to a deep familiarity with the law. Though we are not called to obey this particular law today, the principle still stands. Those who are called to positions of of leadership, of rule, must seek wisdom in that from the emperor of the universe. And beyond that, insofar as we all share in the kingly office of our Lord Jesus, we're called to this same diligence toward the law of God. The elders of the church, together with the deacons, are called to rule over the house of God. They, and particularly the elders, are called to make judgments concerning the worship, the membership, the direction of the church. Like the king of Israel, they rule as servants of God. They are under shepherds that Christ has established over the congregation of Christ. 
And that means that as much as possible, they are to seek to understand God's desires. And God has given us a place where he has revealed his desires, the scriptures. God gives us a book that will make us wise for salvation. Those who are entrusted with God's flock ought to be wise for salvation so that they may, that they may be the application of Christ's work of calling and preserving his church. That's what the under-shepherd does. He gathers the flock and keeps it from wolves. We, the officers of the church, are the means that Christ uses to supply the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments, so that every person in the congregation may be equipped for the task of living according to the gospel. I proclaim to you the word of the Lord under the theme, listen, listen to the word. Now, we can tend to think of listening as something passive, something we receive. We don't need to do anything. But if we think about it a little longer, we will realize that there's a real activity in listening. We're called to analyze, ponder, and apply the things we hear. God wants active listeners. We need to read the word in such a way so that we're hearing it. Paul is calling Timothy to an active listening so he may use the word to make the man of God complete. Paul is speaking to Timothy in a context where the old world seems to be falling apart. The last days at the beginning of chapter 3 refer to the time that will come shortly for Timothy. The breakup of the old world of Judaism centered on the temple and the inauguration of the age of the church. And in that time, many false prophets will rise up and anyone who desires to follow the righteousness of Christ will be persecuted. We can easily find analogies, though not perfect, to our own day where our system is breaking down due to the pressures from COVID-19. Meanwhile, that's already been happening for a while before, false prophets run rampant and the faithful grows smaller by the day. Where do you find strength in such a time? Paul draws Timothy's eyes to Jesus Christ. But as for you, continue, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. What has Timothy learned and firmly believed? He has learned that Jesus Christ is the Messiah the Son of God, the one who has come as an offering for the sins of the world. That needs to be his center point. That's what centers Timothy in his life. And this is Timothy's ultimate certainty as he's faced by pressures that come from every direction, as he experiences persecution from fellow Jews and later from Romans. In all this, he has a firm foundation in Christ. Christ will hold him and keep him. Who 
and the who is plural here, did he learn this from? First, from Paul, who himself witnessed the risen Christ. Paul presents himself as an example to Timothy. Earlier, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Timothy also learned it through others who witnessed Christ, Paul's colleagues. But ultimately, Timothy has learned from Christ himself, through the Spirit of Christ, and through the Word of Christ. That's what calls Timothy, comforts him, strengthens him as he continues to live in the faith. Who did we learn Christ from? From our parents, from our teachers, from our pastors. And in all those things, yes, we learned it from them, but ultimately those words come from Christ himself as he speaks to us out of the pages of Scripture and brings those words to to life in those he has said over us. And the Lord Jesus has chosen you for the same purpose so that you may pass it on to the next generation. And yes, we're imperfect vessels of that tradition. The tradition, the true tradition, the tradition of the scripture that needs to be passed down again and again over generations. And that's why Paul's next point is to point beyond himself to a sacred word that has no error, the word of God. He points to Timothy's own training in that word as a bedrock, as a foundation for what he learned from Paul. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul refers here primarily to the Old Testament. Remember that at this time the New Testament is still in the process of being written. Timothy, as a child, is steeped in the word of God. He was steeped in the word of God before he heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And knowing that word is what prepared him to receive Jesus Christ. It's only in, through faith in Jesus Christ, that that word makes him wise for salvation. It's the word of God that provides Timothy with the strength to remain in Christ as he approaches an uncertain future. This deep immersion in Scripture is sometimes called inscripturation. And of course, this is not limited to the Old Testament. In our day, it it includes the entire Bible. We want that inscripturation in our churches. We want to instill in our children a, a, a love for all of Scripture from an early age. And I hope that you men that have been chosen for the office of elder and deacon are full of gratitude for a lifetime of learning from the scriptures. Many of us have had those scriptures from our youth. 
And this is not a gift to be taken lightly. Too often it's, it's the newcomers to the faith that truly value the scriptures, while those who have been raised in it do not value that birthright. Yet, it is that deep immersion in scripture that prepares us for ministering to Christ's flock. That inscripturation makes Timothy wise for salvation. What does that mean? It means that Timothy has a deep understanding of who God is and what he desires for his church. And, and the word salvation here, we can often narrow our understanding of that word, narrow that to getting into heaven. But that word salvation, it's a lot bigger than merely getting into heaven. Certainly, that's the goal, but it's a lot bigger than that. It refers to the plan of salvation, God's work of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. It refers to the nature of the righteousness that comes with salvation. We're Brought, we're, we're brought out of sin and planted in Christ so that we may do good works. You need wisdom to understand what that righteousness is going to look like. And the good choices on the path of salvation. The word salvation here refers to the breadth and the width of what God is doing in and through the church and beyond the church. His continual offer of salvation and renewal to the whole of creation. Timothy is given this so that he might strengthen those entrusted to his care on the path of that salvation. And that brings us to verse 16. Paul broadens his scope from the Old Testament to all scriptures. All scripture. From sacred writings, now he uses the term all scripture. That includes whatever writings of the New Testament that Timothy had ac has access to. And of course, for us, the entire Bible. All scripture is breathed out by God. All of it is the word of God given to us. And we need to really let that sink in. This is the word of God, direct from the mouth of God. The implication is that none of the scripture we have is arbitrary. It all has a reason for being there. Even though we may not understand every part, it is from God. If it comes from God, it is meant to make us wise in relating with one another in the household of God. That means that it should be my primary source for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These aspects of uh, applying the scriptures form two pairs. The first, teaching and reproof. That, re that word reproof is probably better translated refutation. Those two highlight the importance of the character and the works of God in scripture. 
We teach, for example, that Christ is the Messiah, that he is the true God. That's the teaching that comes off the pulpit. Nobody can, saved ex- can be saved except through Christ. And we refute those who claim otherwise. The second pair, correction and training in righteousness. Highlight the life of the Christian before God. We seek to correct those who are drawn away from Christ through sexual immorality, through substance abuse, or other seductions that come from the world. On the other hand, we call the man of God to grow in his understanding of what God desires in his life. So we warn, for example, the young person who's tempted to find joy and drink while encouraging him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and his joy. We see here that, that pair we see so often in our, in our confessions. Doctrine in life. Doctrine in life. And the purpose, so that the man of God may be complete. The word complete here refers to a wholeness. We might call it a holistic outlook. The man of God is not one-sided in, in his understanding of God's call on his life. Say he values the worship of God on Sunday without applying that to the remainder of his week. He's not one-sided in his understanding of Scripture. He doesn't only study the parts of Scripture that are about the end times and ignore the rest of it. Neither is the man of God divided so that he says one thing and does another or confesses something with his mouth without holding it in his heart. The man of God is complete and he moves toward a greater completeness in Christ as he understands, as he takes in the word that has been given him. And so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So the man of God is complete. And being complete, he's equipped for every good work. The job of the the rulers of the church is to prepare the flock and themselves for various situations God will bring into their lives. Do you have an understanding of God's eternal love so that you will be prepared to suffer for his sake? Do you know that you have the Spirit so that you may be assured that God will keep your feet from slipping from his salvation? Do you understand the nature of God's generosity so that you will be prepared to share of what he has given to you? All this... I want to now draw out three implications from this passage as you seek to listen to the word of God. The first is negative. Don't grow lazy in seeking God through his word. And the second, be patient in seeking God through his word. And finally, simply use that word. And in all these, in all these three, we cultivate a humility toward that word. That's one of the things that actually is brought out in Deuteronomy 17. The king, the king 
studies the word of God so that he may not lord it over his brethren. So if we have a humility toward the word, we develop a humility toward one another. So first, don't, be, don't grow lazy in seeking God through his word. Timothy is called to continue to keep going. He heard the word. He firmly believed the word. He has studied the word from a young age. He is called to continue. That suggests a steadfastness along with a continual receiving of God's gifts. It's easy to simply rely on the knowledge we have reached in a certain point in our life and coast. I'm told that in a variety of different careers, you can differentiate between those who coast on what they learned at a, different po- a certain point in their life and those who continue to learn. And that, if that's true of earthly things, how much more of heavenly things? Pastors may receive a master's degree in theology, but the truth is no man can master the depth and the width of the knowledge that is found in God's plan of salvation in the scriptures. Those who are called to be wise for salvation as they oversee the church ought to be the first to spend time in scripture. Our rod and staff should not be strengthened by our own wisdom, but by the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that comes from above is something that needs to be replenished, refilled every day. We must heed the call of the Lord from Colossians 1 to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is not a task that is accomplished by our mastery of the confessions. That's a good beginning, but it's by no means the end of our task. Our next point then is as much a comfort as a warning. Be patient as you grow in the word. God has worked in his church in all kinds of times and places. Through the Holy Spirit, he has taught the church more and more about the word of God. It's not only the Bible that is impossible to master, but the wisdom of the church through the ages in applying the Bible is impossible for a single man to master. In this process of discovery, many fully orthodox men have disagreed how to apply Scripture. Sometimes one went wrong, sometimes both were wrong. We need to have patience for the wisdom of Scripture to come to light. We need patience even to understand what our fathers understood. Through our experiences under Scripture, through our meditation upon Scripture, God reveals himself to us. If we're not patient, we may miss things. It's easy to fall into what is commonly called biblicism. Biblicism is is reading the scriptures without wisdom, without taking the time to compare and contrast scripture, without seeking to understand what context the author was speaking to. A lot of time, biblicism can take the form of treating the Bible as an instruction manual. One example of biblicism is Christian passivism. 
pacifists read certain parts of the New Testament and call upon Christians to never take up a weapon. This ignores when and where Jesus was speaking of this issue. And it also ignores the rest of Scripture. I think an example in, in our circles where it's easy to follow to that fall into this is the matter of, of discipline. We have, we have our steps of discipline, and it's easy to just follow them without care for individual differences for the cases. Christ really says very little about the process of discipline other than laying out a couple steps. We need to have a sense of, of the whole word, everything the Bible says, in order to exercise discipline well. So the Bible is not an instruction manual. It's not even a systematic theology. It's not even an instruction manual on worship. The Bible doesn't try to systematize theological truth. It's full of stories, proverbs, symbols, and principles, all written within a different context than our own. And that means that the Bible is something to be meditated on. We're supposed to spend time with the Word, Read it over and over again. There are basic instructions in the Bible that we follow. Marriage is for one man and one wife. We are to worship through word and sacrament. We are called to submit to the civil magistrate. But it takes patience to understand how these principles apply to our lives and to our congregations. That's why Paul mentions Timothy's background. Timothy has been steeped in the word since his youth. If the Bible was simply an instruction manual for how to do church, Timothy wouldn't need that long exposure to the word. He was immersed in the word from an early age, and that's, that's what makes him such an able servant in preaching the word of God. The scriptures are the soil that we grow in. The Bible is the spiritual food that we digest so that our souls may be nourished. Again, this type of attitude towards Scripture also has the side effect of, of a humility toward the wisdom of God and a humility toward the members of the church. Such an attitude in the elders also encourages the members in a trust toward the elders so that they are more than willing to obey the call of God to obey their elders. Finally, and this is very important to underline here, we are called to use this word. Knowledge of, of the difficulties of understanding the word can sometimes make us scared to use the word. But the truth is, it is the sword that God has given us. It's a tool for the sake of the kingdom. We believe in what's called the perspicuity of Scripture. That means the central message of Scripture. Christ died and rose again. Christ is king. That's absolutely clear. The central commandment of Scripture, love God and love your neighbor, that's also clear. These are truths we must continually confirm to our congregation. And we shouldn't let the mysteries of Scripture take away our confidence in the truth of Scripture. But beyond that as well, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us. 
As John says, you have the anointing of the Holy One, and so you know all things. That should give us a confidence in applying the scripture to our situation. Sometimes we can grow afraid of ruling well. We don't have all the data. We don't have the approved method for this situation. But in those things, God promises to be with his people. God promises that where there are two or three gathered together, I am there with them. So use the word. It's a little bit like exercise. You grow into it. The first time you exercise, you can only go so far. But if you keep going day by day until you become, you become stronger or faster or develop a greater endurance. In the same way, use the sword that God is giving you so that you may grow adept in his ways. I remember one thing a, a former pastor of mine said. He said, thousands the day before the day before the service, he tweeted, thousands of pastors are going to be giving a better sermon today than the one that they wrote. If that's true for pastors, if they can trust that the Holy Spirit will apply that message to the minds of their congregation, even through the weak words that they write, it's true for all of us as well. So use that word in your life. Yes, God has written scripture so that it takes time and patience to understand it well. But he also intends that scripture to be understood. Sometimes we will only understand that God commands something and we will simply obey without a full understanding of why. Sometimes it will be unclear how some commandment of God applies to our situation and sometimes God will grant us a deep understanding of some act or commandment of God that will give us depth of insight into our situation. In all of these, we are called to rule in whatever positions of authority we are given. Especially you, elders and deacons, will be called to make decisions in the moment. And remember, in these situations too, God is with us understanding where we are and accurately assessing our level of understanding also gives us the patience and the wisdom to be taught, to learn from those who are older and have more experience, to learn from those who have been given insight. And on all this, again, do not refrain from using that word. Teach. Teach your children about the word of God. Remind one another about the doctrines of Christ. Take the time to understand them so that you may share them with those God has put in your care. Refute. Watch out for doctrines that deny and undermine the gospel of Christ. And take the time to demonstrate from Scripture where your ward members are misled. Correct. When you see a sheep wander off to seek the delights of the world, go after him and call him back. To the fold of Jesus Christ. Train. Encourage the members of the church in loving righteousness and living their whole lives as living sacrifices to Jesus. You are given the Holy Scriptures so that you and all those whom God has given you may be complete, equipped for every 
good work. And of course, in all of this, it's all focused on Jesus and the work he did for me as well. That should strengthen us in doing this task. Because ultimately, it's not out of our own strength, but through the Spirit who is working in you. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together from hymn three, hymn three.